So all through August, Clay has been preaching through the book of Romans, and, and Romans is one of those books where you discover something new every time that you go back and read it. And, and I found that to be true as we've worked through some of the texts with our staff, but also as we have, have taught in our Sunday school class coming along Clay's sermon series, that there's always something new to discover in that book. And in fact, if you listen to many commentators, you'd come away thinking that Romans was intended to be Paul's great statement of faith, his magnum opus, where he laid out his beliefs in a, in a systematic and logical way. But can I tell you, it is not that at all. Romans is a book that passionately pleads for Christians to live out the presence of Christ in unity with each, other, with each other because Paul knows, one, there's important work to be done, but also he knows this, that in Rome, the whole world is watching this Christian community form. And so Romans is indeed about all the big topics of grace and faith and our relationship with God, but even more than that, it is about living in Christ-formed community with each other. And so, so Paul musters up some storytelling, some, some Old Testament scriptures, some Greek philosophy, and even, and even his own encounter with Christ to make the powerful point that without God, human beings could never know their own worth or purpose or mission in life. And he says in chapter 1 that every attempt to discover those things outside of God inevitably leads to worship of oneself. And so whether you agree with Paul or not, you have to admit that much of what does not feel right in this world is a result of people losing sight of the transcendent things that matter, that have significance, and instead live out of fear or brokenness or anger, or resentment. And so how we respond to those things, how we respond to fear and brokenness and anger and resentment and other things that have happened to us in life can very well shade how we think about our own happiness and joy and how we think about relationships and community and meaning. And this is at the heart of what Paul wants this Roman church to hear. And if, here you go, if this amazing church, this incredibly gifted church, this church that's strategically situated in the capital of what's considered to be the civilized world, if they can lean into the good news that God has done something new in Christ, it could just very well ignite the revolution that changes the world. But first, and get this, they have to get along to do that. And don't get me wrong, they don't have to see eye to eye. They don't have to agree on all the fine points of theology. They are different. They've got different experiences, different educations, and even on some points, even different understandings of God. The Jewish Christians in Rome that Paul is writing to have this long storied knowledge of, of God and the history of God's people. And the Gentile Christians that Paul is writing to know the freedom that they have in Christ. They know the liberating spirit of God. But at times, both groups have a tendency to regard their version of the faith as superior to that of the other group. 
And so that's getting in the way of, of their church being a living witness to the presence of Christ. And so the, the question for Paul is how to get them all on the same page. And so he reminds them of the grace they have all received. He says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what he says in chapter 3. And so instead of that being a, a cynical statement on human nature, what it is is it's a call to humility. We all get it wrong sometimes. None of us is so perfect as to perfectly judge others. And the truth is that none of us could know God's love and forgiveness if God didn't first show that love and grace and mercy in Christ. And so if church is a community with amazingly different people who have amazingly different experiences, bringing amazingly different gifts, then what exactly is it that's the common bond that ties us all together? And for Paul, it begins with our experience of God's grace in baptism. So from our scripture reading this morning, Paul says in, in Romans 6, 4, Therefore we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in what? Everybody say it. Newness of life. And so in the early church, baptism was the symbol they used to mark one's passage from, from having been lost in the world to having been found and redeemed by God through Christ. And as you would expect, we see people being baptized all over the New Testament. John the Baptist, to announce the coming of Jesus, baptized people in the wilderness to prepare them to receive Jesus' kingdom message. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the wilderness also, and he says, so that all righteousness might be fulfilled. The very first Christians gathered on the day of Pentecost to hear a, a fiery sermon from Peter, literally a fiery sermon, tongues of fire over their heads. And they ask after they hear the sermon, what are we supposed to do? And Peter tells them, turn from sin and be baptized so that your sins will be forgiven and then you will be gifted to live by God's Holy Spirit. And then as the Apostle Paul travels from town to town across the Mediterranean proclaiming the good news that, that God's love has been revealed in Jesus, he baptizes believers as a sign of leaving behind an old life and stepping into what he is going to call the new creation. And so we see that in our scripture this morning. And for Paul, if our faith in Christ radically reorients us, then the outward symbol of that faith in baptism is what visibly unites us. We have laid down the old life and have dedicated ourselves to live into and to lean into God's new life. So what God is in the process of doing in the world is so powerful, a vision for Paul. There are, are no other words to describe it than, than that of a brand new creation. 
And so if you look around and you find the pace and the values and the things that people strive for after in this life, if you find those things exhausting, then the good news is that in Christ there is a new creation. If you feel listless and weary and know in your spirit that you were created for more than this, then the good news is that in Christ there's a new creation. If you read the headlines and feel the pain in your soul that, that the world is not the way the world is supposed to be, then the good news is, in Christ, there's a new creation. And if you know that you have been created so that your existence in this world can be a blessing and can make a difference in people's lives, then the good news is this, in Christ, there is a new creation. creation. So just like baptism, new creation talk is everywhere in the New Testament. In two other letters, you can feel Paul's language soar. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And then he says in Galatians 6.16 that neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. It's the picture of leaning into and living into God's new creation that fuels my own passion for ministry. And as you walked the ministry fair a couple of weeks ago and you talked to different folks at the table, did, did you hear the passion in their voice for the ministry that God had called them to lead? Those folks were fired up. They were. And there's a way that God is using them so that people can feel, they can deeply feel real love, real community, real grace, and real freedom. They have a deep sense that they are being used in the service of God's kingdom to do a work that results in people being renewed and recreated. And in the passage that we read this morning, we heard that just as Christ was raised up in the resurrection, we too are raised up in newness of life. And I want to know, like, how can I continue to experience and feel deep in my spirit that renewal of spirit every single day? And so as we celebrate the baptisms this morning of Liza and Noah, I want to share with you just a couple of ways that I think we can reconnect with the, the new creation work that God is doing in both of them, but God is also doing that work in all of us. And so the first is this. We are awakened in our sense that this is not the way it's supposed to be. Now, I, I took that phrase from a book that I love by the theologian Cornelius Plantiga, and it resonates with me because I think that every one of us has a sense of those things in our world that just don't feel right to us. And I think Clay does a great job week to week talking about what those things are. Loneliness and depression, division and discord, anger and resentment, feeling like we're spinning our wheels, constantly battered, battling, being tired or feeling exhausted. How many of us these past couple of weeks felt some of that as we watch the Tennessee legislature grapple with gun safety. And so regardless of where you land on that issue, there was, there was just a sense of this is not the way it's supposed to be. Amen, everybody? 
I mean, usually the conversations that Susan and I have about how we can be more loving, loving and supportive for each other come from the recognition that there's some pattern of our family life that isn't working for us. And we have even said on occasion, this isn't the way that it's supposed to be. In fact, this isn't the way that it's supposed to be begs the question, right? Well, how could it be then? And I love that part of the conversation because that's usually the part where people's eyes light up. That's the part where, where people feeling stuck, and be, they, where they stop feeling stuck and they begin feeling just a little bit of power over their lives. I love it when we ask that question in our staff meetings over something that the church has always done this way before, right? And then we have the opportunity to brainstorm some different ways that we can recreate God's, God's ministry and purpose here at our church. I love it when that question is asked by a couple, both of whom are ready for something new in their marriage. I love it when I ask that question in prayer and God downloads a vision of a changed perspective or attitude. Living raised up with Christ could then look like becoming intentional to lay down old patterns and then leaning into some new patterns. And this emerges out of the question how could it be, or even better, what is God calling us to be? And this conversation is a great one to have with, with someone that you trust. When something isn't working, I feel like I'm called to something greater. Here are some ideas of, of, of things that I have, of what that life could look like. What do you think? And sharing that with someone that you trust. And for, for one of the reasons that we call people into small group relationships is because we need relationships where we have people that we can trust. Because the truth is, I don't always see myself and see my stuff as well as others see my stuff. And as much as I love my wife Susan and I adore her, we don't always need to be the people telling each other what those things are that we need to change and do better. Amen, somebody? And I benefit immensely by having someone who sees God at work in my life to say, you're right, that isn't working, so what are you going to do about it? And a great place to start, I think, that, would, that I would highly recommend, and we've just started a ministry here. Actually, it's a reboot of a ministry that we've had. It's called the Gilead House, which is what we're calling the new center for, for spirituality and healing. And we now have five incredible spiritual directors and coaches in, in Beth Patillo and Sandy Smith and Ben Curtis and Vicki Askew and Randy Smith who can help us recognize patterns that aren't working and then hear you know, God's leading towards some patterns that might work better. In fact, I know that they're having a retreat coming up in just a couple of weeks, and so if you want more information about that, I think I saw Sandy here today, so ask, so ask Sandy about how you can get plugged into that retreat. And that's good news, isn't it? That we, we're not alone, and Paul says in Romans 8 that, that even God's Spirit is working alongside us as we live into that new creation. And I love this. This is what he says. The Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we don't even know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes with us, and here's a great phrase, with groans too deep 
for words. And that's the message of Romans. God calls us into relationship. God pours out grace. God helps us grow in our faith. God then continues to empower us to live lives that are raised up in freedom. But here's the best part of this, I think. God raises us up in freedom so that we might come alongside others and help raise them up in what God has created them to be. We are, we are living out our life mission and purpose always in the company of other people. And if we pause for just a moment and, and just reflect in, in stillness, we might see the incredible ways that God has woven us together as a people who boldly carry together the living presence and power of the resurrected Christ. And so when we see someone give their lives to Christ in baptism, it's a sign to us as well that God is renewing us in God's new life. And through us, God will call others to know his grace and love and power. So let's pray, and then we're going to celebrate Noah's and Liza's baptisms. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for um, fresh starts. We thank you for new life. We thank you for the mission that you have called us to proclaim the good news that in Christ, um, all of creation is being renewed and made new. And God, we pray that this morning, as we see Noah and Liza baptized, that you would inspire in us the ways that you have formed us and shaped us and gifted us, God, to carry your presence. That wherever we go, in whatever circumstances we find ourselves, and wherever, wherever we're working in our families, God, that our presence carries your presence, and there is healing that happens when we allow you to move in grace and mercy through us. So we thank you for Noah and Liza. We praise you, God, for your grace that has brought them here today to this place. And we praise your name for what you have done in us as the body of Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.